You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 66. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Alright guys, it's Cassie here. Rigel's not going to be able to join us today, but too bad for him because we have a special guest, Kate Sloan. Kate Sloan is a journalist, essayist, a blogger who specializes in kink and sex. Her work has appeared in publications like Cosmopolitan, Glamour, Teen Vogue, and The Establishment, and many, many more. Her award-winning sex blog, girlyjuice.net, has been a hub for kinksters, femmies, and sex nerds for over seven years. She's also the producer and co-host of The Dildorks, a weekly podcast about sex, dating, and masturbating. She's a graduate of the prestigious Ryson School of Journalism, where she concentrated on long-form featured writing. So we're really excited to have Kate on, and today we're going to be talking about Daddy Dom, Little Girl Play, something that I'm actually really, really excited to talk about. We're going to dive into things like, is this moral? Is this type of play something that is moral to do? How to find partners who might be interested in this type of play, some red flags to look out for, and some really cool ideas on how to create scenes and the atmosphere of that dynamic. So let's dive in. All right. So anything else you wanted to add as far as, you know, onto your bio or anything that folks should know about you? Nope. I think that that's uh, all the stuff I've got going on right now. Awesome. So before we started, you said that uh, you're wearing your shirt today. I think our our listeners would like to know what shirt you're wearing. (laughs) So I'm wearing a shirt that says baby girl, which is because I did a sponsored post last year with a website that has like a daddy dom little girl section on their site. And when they reached out to me, I was immediately like, oh my God, we have to do this collaboration where you like send me these shirts and I'll take cute pictures in them and write about like little space and stuff. And it was so fun. And now I have these adorable crop tops. That's awesome. So, you know, (laughs) I'm actually really invested in our talk today. I know our listeners Mm -hmm. are going to enjoy it, but I'm actually invested in it because I do some daddy, dom, little girl play. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I find really intriguing. And so I'm looking forward to it. So can you (laughs) tell me a little bit about sort of defining daddy, dom, little girl play for those who might be more newer to it, uh, haven't really gotten to explore it before, like sort of the dynamic and, and what it looks like? Daddy, dom, little girl, sometimes known as DDLG, is an age play dynamic where the dominant, who may or may not go by the name daddy, uh, takes on usually more of a nurturing role, more of like a loving style of dominance than we often see in the media, like not so much like punitive or humiliating, but more of like a nurturing, like parental type of role. And the little girl who also may or may not be a girl and may or may not be called a little girl in the dynamic is more uh, like taking on like a little space type of role or like a, 
a younger persona to what they actually are in many cases. Yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic that's really important to me in my life. Awesome. So I have some questions about that. But first, I'm going to ask, mm-hmm. like, how did you get into this play? And like, how long ago? And what kind of got you motivated to start playing in this space? Yeah. So I've always had crushes on older men ever since I was like pretty young and like particularly always on like teachers and professors. And so there was something always about this like older man, younger younger woman dynamic that was always very appealing to me. Like I love to read books about it and stuff. And then when I was about 23, I was in journalism school and I took this class that was a journalism and law class. And one of the instructors was this lawyer who would come to class in this suit every single class. And he always looked great. And one day, like it was kind of a boring class because it was law, whatever. And um, I was like daydreaming. And I just had this like very vivid daydream about being draped across this man's lap. And he was like spanking me and calling me a good little girl. And I'd had like inklings before that, that I might be submissive-ish, but I had never really thought about that before. So that was really eye-opening for me. And then I started to look into that dynamic more and more. And at first I felt a little bit squicked out by it, but then I realized that it's actually like exactly the type of submissive that I am. Once you started tinkering with it, was it something that you kind of dove into or was it something that was more of like a, a slow toying with things maybe in the bedroom and then a little bit more mm-hmm. outside or or for you, how did that kind of develop? Yeah, I was actually not dating anybody or seeing anybody at the time that I started having these feelings. And so I had like at least a year to like really just sit with them and think about them and like read about them and stuff. And even when I did start dating again, like I was often really scared to bring it up. Like I thought people would think it was weird. So I think I called somebody that like once and I felt super weird about it. And often I would just like be thinking it in my head as I was having sex, but like not saying it out loud. And then I got into my first DDLG relationship a couple years ago and it was pretty brief. We only dated for three months and then we had a really sad breakup. But um, that was my first taste of kind of like a 24-7 DDLG dynamic. And I was immediately like, yes, this is good. I want more of this. Awesome. So it was sort of, you got into it and then it became something that you were like, okay, this is definitely what I'm looking for. And I think for a lot of people, like that's what our kinks are. It's like, oh, I'm not so sure, but now I'm <laughs> I'm more exploring and, oh, wait, this is definitely what I want. So um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned earlier about not necessarily genders being associated with either role. Mm -hmm. And I know personally, I've identified as a daddy to one of my partners, Amanda. I'm not outing her. We talk about her on the podcast all the time. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, like when we go to camp, uh, there's a thing called Mm -hmm. State Fair Day. And we'll go and it's her day. It's always her day. She does her whole little thing. She dresses in her onesie (laughs) and I take her and I nurture her and I let her do all the girly things. And then normally at the end of the evening, that's when I have my fun and I wreck her. <laughs> that's sort of how our our dynamic works is she gets to have the whole day. And then in the evening, I tackle her down and wreck her pigtails and destroy her. That's our negotiated <laughs> day. <Yeah>. And <laughs> it works very well for us. But I've had folks mm-hmm. who have been like, well, you're not a daddy because mm-hmm. you are a very presenting female person. Mm-hmm. I would argue that my gender is my own choice as far as how I, I depict myself. But I've had people who are like, you're very female presenting. 
how is it that you're mm-hmm. a daddy? You should be a mommy. So I think it's important for folks to like know that that's not something that has to be gender specific. Yeah, I think femme daddies and female daddies and non-binary daddies are totally hot and I've known many of them and they're great. I think it is interesting to think about the kind of gender dynamics, like the differences between a daddy and a mommy. And I know that Tina Horn went into this on her podcast, Why Are People Into That? About kind of like how we have very different gender dissociations between those two words. Like even like when I think about being dominant and I'm very rarely dominant, but like I would be more comfortable with a perspective submissive partner calling me daddy than calling me mommy. Like mommy just like immediately sucks me out. And I know that that's because of like ingrained sexism stuff, but also we have like very different cultural touchstones for what those two kinds of people are supposed to behave like. Yeah, I would agree. Cause I think for me, that's why daddy fits more than mommy is I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. there's like the archetype of daddy that I feel suits more of my play. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not necessarily a a gender thing. It's that archetype, you know, like the kind of letting daddy's little girl get away with things versus, you know, the mommy being more of like the, the like nurturer carer daddy being sort of like the lenient one. So I I think that has a lot to do with it. In -hmm. your experience, do you feel like people tend to struggle with that, like getting past the gender roles versus the dynamics of the play? You know, it's interesting because like weirdly in my own life, I am so attracted to masculinity that often when I have been attracted to people who don't identify as men, like later they've sort of like drifted farther down the gender spectrum along the masculinity side. So it's almost like I feel like I have like a radar for it. But I remember there was this one specific female identifying at the time partner of mine who I asked if I could call them sir in a scene we were shooting and and they just like lit up they seemed really surprised at having been asked this because they're they appeared very female at the time and like so this isn't something that they would come up against very often and they were like so thrilled with that and I was too and that felt totally right to me and it was almost like I sensed a kind of like energy from this person that was like a sir energy I don't know it's interesting how that happens sometimes so like the vibe was there Yeah. (laughs) So if, you know, say our listeners are listening in and they're like, you know, this is something that sounds interesting, like why would someone want to try this if it wasn't necessarily like in your case where you were like, I kind of knew early on, but say this isn't something that necessarily like I know this is my style of play or I know this is something that I'm going to have some interest in. Like why would someone want to maybe tinker with this and give it a try? I think that it's often attractive to people who have not really gelled with traditional or like more media accepted ideas of what submission looks like. Like I was very resistant for a long time to call myself submissive because a lot of the representations of dominance and submission I had seen in the media like just like really didn't resonate with me. Like I really didn't want to be like whipped by a woman in um, high heeled boots. Like on occasion I do, but like that wasn't like the core of the dynamic that I really wanted. And so I think that if you find yourself feeling drawn to like a more loving style of DS, like even if the words daddy and all the other words don't really resonate with you, like it might be something to look into because you can even change the words that you use. It, it's just like, it's about the feeling of that dynamic, I think. That's interesting that you put it that way, that it's not necessarily the words, but more of the style of relationship. Mm -hmm. As far as from like a little perspective, because I don't relate. And as I said, (laughs) I'm I'm interested in your perspectives on these things. Mm -hmm. From a little perspective, what do you find 
helps you stay in that space when you're dealing with a dominant or a daddy and you're trying to create that dynamic? Like what helps you feel more fulfilled in that situation? Mm. That's a really good question. It's kind of hard for me to answer because my partner is right now is like so intuitively good at this that I almost don't really know what exactly he's doing. But I think for me, the names are a big part of it. Like my name and my dynamic is little one. And that makes me feel immediately very small. But it's also like my partner changes the way he speaks to me. Like I hear his voice shifting into what is definitely like sort of a dadly register. And like the way he phrases things is very much as if he's talking to someone younger, like not someone who's stupid and won't understand, but someone who just like you need to be a little bit clear and decisive with them. And he just really has a good handle on that. And it just makes me melt immediately into little space. Makes sense. So is there anything that you do for Mm -hmm. yourself to kind of get you into that space? Mm, That's really interesting. Yeah, I like um, certain fashion and beauty cues, like putting my hair in pigtails works really well for me, wearing short skirts and like knee high socks. I have certain perfumes that I associate kind of with little space or with sort of a juvenile femininity that works well with uh, how I feel when I'm in that space. And all of those things kind of help teleport me into that mind frame. So is there like a identity age range for littles? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've, there's definitely like, you know, baby play. That's, that's like kind of its own right. thing. And then there seems to be more of the teenager age range of like teacher student And then there's like a a large spectrum of people who identify as little. Is there generally like an age range in that or a way to kind of know when you're talking to someone or negotiating with someone about little play, like what their little identity age is? (laughs) I think that that's a question that you would have to ask the individual person because in my experience, it's like all over the map. Like I've known people who, when they're in little space, they feel like they're like four or six. And then me, I always kind of feel more like I'm like 12 to 14. Like I think of myself as almost like a Veruca Salt type of figure because I think like that was the age when I was really coming into my own sexuality and starting to have all those thoughts about older men. So I think that's like a much easier place for me to access. And like, I've noticed a lot of the discourse about DDLG on like Tumblr and stuff uses like stuffed animals and pacifiers, which is like great that those people are into those things, but that's really not how I experience it. But yeah, I think like asking the person like, what age do you envision yourself at roughly when you're in little space is like a really useful question because obviously you're going to treat someone very different if you think they're five than if you think they're 15. Absolutely. You know, because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of my dynamic with Amanda, which is more like you know, toddler age, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. our play tends to be more based on like teddy bears and getting pretty dresses and like playing with dolls, things like that. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. with an older little, it may be other things. Right. So I think it's, you know, always good, no matter what kink you're doing to ask the person that you're trying to play with or engage in a, a relationship with questions. So that way you guys are on the same page, but I was just curious Mm -hmm. if there was like, you know, for those who might be single and listening and are looking for someone who meets kind of the dynamic that they're looking for, if there was a better way of like 
figuring it out maybe up front. Yeah. I mean, I often recommend that people who are littles or who think they might be littles spend time in little space by themselves if that's something you feel able to do. And that might look like sitting on your floor, coloring and coloring books, or it might look like putting your hair in pigtails and watching a cartoon on TV. Like there's a lot of different ways to kind of access this space. And I think once you've been there a few times, you can kind of get a sense of like what age you feel like you might be or what age might be exciting to be. One of the things that I have noticed is that there is that there is sort of a a judgment when it comes to certain play in the BDSM mm-hmm. community. I've been in the community for over a decade now, which always makes me feel really old to say that, um, <laughs> especially because it's more like almost a decade and a half. Mm-hmm. And whenever you say that, that just makes you feel old. But <laughs> over the years, I've, I've noticed that there is certain styles of play, things like that. And anything revolving around littles there, even within the community, there's sometimes like that negative connotation with it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder like, is this because even people in the BDSM community have issues with like the morality of it? And if you are Mm -hmm. somebody who's identifying this way, like how do you deal with, you know, the morality of like, little space versus like what you would expect from vanilla people to have judgments about. Right. There's sort of two schools of thinking in terms of the people who are critical of this. One of them is that they think that daddies are like actually pedophiles who are just sort of using this as a stopgap to get their needs met. And like my first daddy Dom actually had like a brief panic about that where he like really had to interrogate himself and figure out if that was the case for him. And he came to the conclusion that it wasn't because he was only attracted to adult women putting on, you know, the trappings of childhood. But then there's also the people who think that if you're a little, that you like have daddy issues or you have like age regression issues that you need to work through in therapy, which like, I'm not claiming to be the most sane and rational person, but I also think that if you do have trauma or whatever, like you're still entitled to do kink. And like, I don't think that you should be like criticized for that as long as you're going about it in a way that's, you know, safe and consensual and all that. And then there's also the people who say that if you talk about doing DDLG and that kind of thing in a public space, like say on Twitter, that you might trigger survivors of uh, sexual violence. And, um, I think that that's a really valid criticism. Like I've started writing content notes on everything that I put publicly that references DDLG because like that feels like much more based in reality to me than a lot of the other criticisms I've heard. But yeah, for the most part, like I just had to work through my own shit about like, is this related to my own actual father in any way? And I sat with that question for a long time and thought about it for a long time. And I came to the conclusion, it absolutely is not. It has nothing to do with my dad. I never think about my dad in sexual situations. So I feel like I've kind of like shed all of the the moral panic that, that I had when I first got into this kink at this point. Yeah. I had someone ask me, you know, when I was doing stuff with my partner, like, what is your relationship with your dad? And I'm like, my dad is amazing. Like my dad is like (laughs) the coolest dad ever. Mm -hmm. Everything from, he actually raised me as a, as, as a, you know, independent parent to he's accepting of my lifestyle and he is the best grandfather ever. And I'm like, (laughs) I have no dad issues. Like, I don't feel like I need to be a dad because my dad was bad. Like my dad is fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I always find it interesting that that's exactly where people go is that it has to necessarily be trauma or some sort of thing that you're working out versus something that you're just enjoying. Mm-hmm. So as far as if you are experiencing, you know, some of your circle not necessarily being accepting that sort of thing, what are some things that people can do to kind of feel more secure in their own kink identity? Hmm. I mean, I think it is useful to do what I did and kind of really interrogate yourself about do you have any baggage about your dad or like (laughs) other father figures in your life? Because that's just like a really common question that comes up. And I feel like you do need to kind of have an answer for that. Like I get asked that all the time. But also like, I think that it's always helpful to look to your community and talk to people who are doing the DDLG thing and see that they're for the most part doing it in ways that are really consensual and negotiated and it makes them really happy in a lot of cases. It can be very fulfilling. So it doesn't have to be this, you know, evil thing that some people make it out to be. So you mentioned community and as far as being part of like the greater King community, there's also, I like to tell people there's always like, there's like the communities within the communities. There's like these little like SIGs <laughs> within the community, if you will, of different Mm -hmm. things. Is there like a large online little community or even meets or things like that specifically for littles? Yeah, there there definitely is. It used to be largely on Tumblr, but now Tumblr doesn't allow adult content anymore. So I gather that a lot of that has migrated. I see a lot of it on Twitter. I know there's some on FetLife. And I've heard of like events organized that are like Littles getting to hang out with other littles, which I always thought would be really cool because I never do that. Um, I think it would be neat to like just hang out in color and like drink juice together and talk about what it's like being a little. But I haven't really gotten super involved in the community because like a lot of them are younger littles than me, as I said. So like I don't really connect with some of it, but I do think it's really useful, especially when you're first getting into the kink, because it's very validating to see that like so many other people have the same desires as you. So as far as when you're getting ready to sort of shift, and so this kind of has like two questions to it, because when we're playing, there can be things that are like 24-7 that are all the time. So I'll ask this question mm-hmm. first. Is little play, you know, like little little daddy, you know, play something mm-hmm. that can be 24-7 or does it tend to not be? It can be. I mean, I consider myself to be in a 24-7 DS dynamic because my partner is always my dominant and I defer to him on many things throughout my day. But I don't think that we're in what you might call a 24-7 DDLG dynamic, even though I like I call him daddy like most of the time. But I'm not in little space all the time because if I was, I wouldn't be able to like do my job and, you know, be an adult human in the world. But I would imagine that there are people who do it 24-7. I just, for me, that is not super appealing because I also really enjoy the things that I get to do as an adult in my career and whatnot. Yeah, that's why I said I was going to ask that question first because the other question that I was I was kind of going with is with the switch, because that's what you're saying is that, you know, you have times where you're, you get to be an adult and you're doing those things. Is there difficulty mm-hmm. going from one space to the other? For me... Not usually. And I think it's just because I'm so practiced with my partner. Like we're very good at sort of reading each other and he can put me into a little space with just sort of a glance or saying the right thing because we just know each other really well at this point. 
But actually, one thing that's been really helpful for me in this regard is they they just recently legalized marijuana where I live. And I find that smoking weed really helps me get into a little space because it makes me feel young and inarticulate and slightly unable to do things for myself in a way that is very reminiscent of how I felt when I was younger. So that's been kind of a cool shortcut for me. That's pretty funny because we actually just did a recording with Ashley Manta. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> these these episodes will be picking and backing off of each other. I'm are you familiar? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. The canosexual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that helps you. Is there any other things that maybe could help others for like transitioning from space to space? I know not in my 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 daddy little girl relationship, but in my power exchange relationship with my husband, which is more of a MS type relationship with him going to work or leaving the house. We have some protocols like when he comes home that kind of like Mm -hmm. re-trigger us back into that space. Is there any like protocols or suggestions or ideas that might help others out? Yeah, that's so interesting. I actually just this week did an episode of my podcast that was about ritual and protocol. So I've been thinking a lot about this this week, but one that me and my partner do, we're long distance. So often he'll like read to me over the phone. Like he'll read me like things I've written or things that are new on the internet that he thought I would find interesting. And because that like someone reading to you dynamic is kind of like a parental dynamic in my memory, like that can help put me in little space. I also know some people who have rituals around like kneeling in front of their dominant and maybe like taking their shoes off or like just like sitting on the floor beside them and having their hair stroked or whatever. I think it's just a matter of like experimenting to find out what works for you. And I also think that like consistency helps too, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we get into a mode of like, we know that this is the thing that we do when we are getting together for things and we're getting close, just Mm -hmm. that like consistency of remembering that that thing means this thing can be really helpful. Yeah, like if I'm out on a date with my partner and he is calling me little one and a good little girl just like throughout the evening, then I know shit's going to go down later. (laughs) Like I know that we're going to get into those roles when we are somewhere alone because we're already kind of like going into them at that point. So do you have any like tips possibly that you would give like our listeners for like trying this out? Like if this is something that is new to you and you haven't done it before, like some tips on kind of like how to possibly suggest it to your partner or bring it up to kind of get the wheels turning on 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 tinkering with uh, with this type of play. Yeah, it's actually been interesting to watch um, that like calling people daddy has become kind of a meme in the past couple of years. So it's like it doesn't seem to be as taboo as it used to be. So I think like asking someone like, how would you feel if I called you daddy during sex sometime? Like, isn't that out of a blue or, or weird of a question these days? And if uh, if somebody is like put off by the actual word, which happens a lot, like I was really put off by the actual word when I first got into this. There are other, you know, names you can use. You can call someone sir or captain or, you know, whatever. But I think that starting with a name is a really good a really good place to start because it gives you a little taste of what that might feel like, but it's not super high investment on either of your parts. And playing with that during sex can like show you how that interacts with your arousal and stuff. I would also say like impact play is a pretty commonly paired type of scene with this kink. Uh, a good spanking scene is often a great way to get into these types of headspaces. And you can also totally experiment with the names while you're doing that. And that can be really fun. You can also use like DDLG appropriate 
uh, props for that scene. Like getting spanked with a hairbrush is a fave of mine. Okay. As far as like setting up a scene. So you gotten past mm-hmm. sort of like the the conversation end of like, oh, you know, I I, I got the, the nickname out of the way, that sort of thing. You said sort of like the tools, right? Like a hairbrush. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions for like setting a scene or setting like a, a narrative, if you will, for play that, uh, you know, people could maybe take and, and use for themselves or alter that might be like a first cool interaction with their partner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you are into impact play, like a pretty classic scene is like, oh, the little girl's been a bad girl and she needs to be punished. Like it's very, very basic, but you already basically have a narrative there that both of you are going to be familiar with and you can fill in the details as you go, like whatever you did wrong and what you're being punished (laughs) for and that kind of thing. I've also really enjoyed sort of adjacent to this, like a teacher-student dynamic, which to me feels very reminiscent of DDLG, but just a little bit more removed, which might be better also if you're like struggling with the words or like want to sort of come at it sideways rather than like going straight into the daddy little girl stuff. So that can be like a like a disciplinarian type of scene. And I also think it's useful to think about like, what is it that attracts you to this dynamic? And what are some objects that you associate with that thing? So like when I think of a daddy, I think of like in charge masculinity. And when I think of in charge masculinity, I think about leather belts and shiny shoes and um, pocket squares and tweed blazers and like all these things, which are all really useful. Like if you're trying to, you know, get really costumey and theatrical about your scene, which can be really fun sometimes. Awesome. So as far as if you have difficulty getting into a mindset of kind of role play, because really a lot of this circles around kind of role-playing as as different figures than you are. Mm-hmm. I often joke about Rigel, who isn't on today, but the first time we ever tried to do a, a, a teacher-student scene, I got myself all dressed up and I was in a suit jacket with just panties, high heels, had the whole glasses <laughs> and the notebook, and we decked out our whole room to look like a classroom, went through the whole nine yards. I opened up the door and he was like, you know, Mrs. Whatever fake name we came up with for me. Why aren't you wearing pants? <laughs> and completely lost it. Um, we both ended up laughing. We tried it like four or five times, could not get into the space. So I don't role play with Rigel anymore. Uh, listeners, I cannot because mm-hmm. he stinks at role play. But if maybe you're having some challenges with like getting into that headspace, what are some things that you can do to kind of get into a role or get into a thing of getting past like the giggles and the and the goofy feelings like what can folks do for that yeah I always tell people to take an improv class but like (laughs) I'm a former theater kid I did competitive improv for years so like that's kind of why I am interested in role play I think because I really enjoy it as this sort of act of collaborative storytelling which was also really what I loved about improv but in an improv class you'll learn a lot about like conversational flow and keeping the action going But I think also it can be helpful to watch a piece of media that like depicts the type of archetypal character that you're going for. Like I always find it easier to kind of get into role if I've been watching someone who sort of matches the type of little girl that I want to be. So like Baruch Assault kinds of things. And then like I always tell people that the way to stay in character is just to decide that you're going to stay in character. Like if you both really, really commit to it and 
and do your best not to giggle and like stay with it as much as you can, then it will be easier to do that, especially with practice. But if you're both feeling really silly and you're both kind of making fun of each other, then it's not going to work. You have to sort of commit to this agreement that you're you're not going to mock each other for how silly you're acting, which is also something I learned from improv class is like, you can't be cutting each other down and making fun of everybody's acting and everything all the time. You have to really commit to it and uh, hold each other up in the scene. Okay. So let's say I am either a, a daddy dom or I'm a little girl and I'm single because we've talked a lot about this stuff in regards to people who are already in relationships, right? Like I have someone to experiment mm-hmm. with or I have somebody that I would like to do this with. What if you know this is part of your kink. It's something that maybe you've done before, something you're really into, but you can't find somebody who is into it. Like, is there places to look? Like, what would you suggest as far as, you know, getting out there and finding potential partners that meet that kind of kink that you have? I would suggest munches and other local kink scene events. The people I know in this lifestyle or who have this kink seem to have had the best results with that kind of thing. I met my partner on Twitter, but that's kind of a strange case because like I'm very loud and open on Twitter about my kinks and about my sexuality. So like people tend to be drawn to me who are interested in that and in what I'm saying specifically. It can be hard to be a little girl who's like shopping around for a daddy because I found that there are a lot of men who like identify as daddies and are not great, which I mean, that's true of like any type of person, but they, I don't know, there is something about a certain type of controlling man who can be really drawn to this identity. So like, I tend to use a lot of the questions that I would use when screening any kind of dom. Like one of my favorites is like, uh, has anyone ever safe worded with you? And like, what happened? Because I feel like the answer to that and how they answer that can, can tell you a lot about them. And also like, how do you ensure ongoing consent during a scene? both great questions that I like to use to screen doms. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really, honestly, it's hard. Like I've fallen into both of the DDLG dynamics that I've been in. I met both of them on Twitter, which is really <laughs> weird, but. I would say that's not the usual. <laughs> so you talked about a couple of the questions that you asked. Is there any kind of red flags? So if you're, you know, a, a, a little girl and you're looking for a daddy dom, any red flags that you would say, hey, these are kind of things that, look out for? Yeah, I think that pretty much with any type of DS dynamic, I think it's always good to look out for people who are really trying to sort of pigeonhole you or slot you into this space that they already have in their mind for what they want their partner to do. Like we all do a certain amount of that, but I wouldn't want to be with someone who wanted me to be a particular type of little girl that I'm not. And so when I start seeing someone new in a DS capacity, like we have a lot of conversations about like, what feelings do you like to get out of kink? And like, how do you like scenes to feel for you? And and like, what words would you use to describe the feelings that you enjoy? And that kind of thing. And, and there needs to be some level of compromise because if I'm dating a daddy who prefers littles who are like in the, you know, eight to 10 age range and I'm in the 12 to 14, like maybe we can find some middle space in there. But yeah, I would say like putting demands on you without first negotiating them with you is a pretty big red flag. That's one that I always look out for because it happens all the time. Yeah, it's a it's a red flag regardless of if you're a little. Yes. <laughs> if someone's trying to slot you. And this, guys, it goes for like polyamory as well as kink activities. Anybody who's trying to slot yes. you in, that's always very 
murky territory that probably isn't a healthy situation. So Mm -hmm. great advice. Thank you so much for taking all the time to do this. If you don't have anything else to add, we can get into our speed round if you'd like. Oh, sweet. I'm excited. All right. I'm going to start asking you questions. The idea is to get through them as fast as possible. And, uh, you know, don't spend too much time on on answering them because it's supposed to be under a minute. What's something you're not very good at? Dancing. Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Oh, it's not you versus me. It's us versus the problem. What are three things you you couldn't live without? Uh, a magic wand rechargeable, a notebook and pen, and <laughs> tweezers. Awesome. What turns you on? Ooh, uh, intelligence, humor, and huge hands. <laughs> Tell me something that's true that almost no one agrees with you on. Oh, man. It's okay to wear socks during sex. Oh, 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 I thought we were <laughs> friends. All right. So um, a book you would recommend to our listeners? High Heel by Summer Brennan. I just read it and it was incredible. What's your biggest fear? Abandonment. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be sexual or not sexual. Oh, I once performed in a musical improv show and I don't do musical improv. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So who is your movie, TV, famous person crush? Andy Samberg. What's something you're working on right now that our listeners should know about? I have an article coming out on playboy.com pretty soon. I don't know when exactly, but it is coming out and I'm very excited because that's been a lifelong dream publication of mine. Awesome. And, uh, you know, as far as our listeners, if they want to be able to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, I would love if you would follow me on Twitter. That's where I am most of the time. I'm at girly underscore juice because my blog is called Girly Juice and it is at (laughs) girlyjuice.net. And I write about sex, kink, relationships, beauty, fashion, a lot of fun stuff. And uh, my journalism stuff is over at katewritesaboutsex.com. And I also co-host a podcast called The Dildorks, which you can find on your favorite podcast app. And we're also at thedildorks.com. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes for you guys. So that way uh, you can find Kate. And thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Thank you. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, it was a great interview and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.